0: Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes Mike Anthony, who is a sometime professional actor, majority-time bartender at Hamilton on Broadway, and author of a new book, Love Dad. As seen in the Netflix series Surviving Death, Mike will be sharing the incredible story of how his father died, then told him he didn't. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sonny Joy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com com as well as itunes and podcast one and my website is goldenoversoul.com. that is goldenoversoul.com. um benny how are things in seattle exactly how your show should be and is sunny i know we talked last week about it you've made the turn into spring you made it through feels so so good i'm so happy to hear that how about you how about you oh you know i mean this is sunny california <laughs> i mean it's a, it's a weird if we do have rain which we did this week but mm,
1: we well, could always <laughs> just share a little bit you know
0: yeah exactly well um any anything new and exciting happening with you that we need to know about
1: mm, i'm trying to come up with something and no i'm pretty much uh you know even keeled you know steady as she goes right okay
0: <laughs> well with that then i guess we will welcome on our in- Incredible guest for today. Okay. And as I was sure. saying before we went live, um, I just had so much fun preparing for this show. Um, this was one of those ones where it just, I'm, I'm laughing, I'm crying, and there's so many ways to take in this story, um, both in the book that we're going to talk about today, Love, Dad, as well as, um, as mentioned in the uh, intro, um, the Netflix series, Surviving Death. Um, our guest today, Mike Anthony, um, is involved in both. Uh, Mike Anthony has been a professional actor and a not professional bartender and it was in the role of bartender that he was lucky enough to experience from an up close perspective the ride that Hamilton an American musical took as it rocketed into Broadway history his first book Life at Hamilton chronicles his extraordinary time there beyond his life in theater Mike's journey took an unexpected turn when his dad passed away leaving him down or leading him down a remarkable path of discovery he now spends a good portion of his time exploring evidence suggestive of the survival of consciousness beyond the demise of the physical body. A part of Mike's story is told in the documentary series, Surviving Death. And the book chronicling the whole journey is Love, Dad, How My Father Died, Then Told Me He Didn't. The website to find out more about all of these things is Mike. Anthony.com. That is MikeAnthony.com. And it's where I don't spell a website, but that one is pretty straightforward. So MikeAnthony.com. Mike, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Hey, Sunny. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. As I said, this this just was so much fun to prepare. And one of the things that stood out to me, um, I my my partner um, watched part of the the Netflix series so that we could see your appearances there. And his comment was, "Wow, this guy is so enthusiastic and so excited about this journey. It's like contagious." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
0: after you've had some of the stuff happen uh, that I've had happen,
1: it's hard to not be excited about it. You know.
0: Yeah. And it's so, I mean, while we're on the topic, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how much time do you have, Sonny? Uh, I wish more than an hour.
1: In a uh, in a nutshell, uh, in 2011, my dad, who I was incredibly close to, uh, who was an amazing man, you know, sort of the center of our family, the 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 eye in the center of our crazy family's hurricane, um, he very unexpectedly died, just shockingly died. He was 60 years old, and we thought um, that if anyone in my family would be, you know, live to see a hundred, we thought it was going to be him. So his death was a complete and utter shock, um, and it sent me into um, A pit of despair. It sent me into a full-blown existential crisis, I would call it. Um, And then uh, some extraordinary events happened that ended up convincing me, beyond the shadow of a doubt, um, that science uh, is incorrect. Mainstream science is incorrect when it says that um, death is the end of the um, the end of our existence.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that really stood out to me, you do, while I think you are now a professional actor, and as you said, bartender um, at Hamilton, and so you have not been involved in science, but you were very interested in science when you were growing up, and even calling yourself, I think, a healthy skeptic, although I have to say, what tickled me so much in reading this book was like the mental gymnastics you went through as you were trying to prove, um, as you were visiting different, excuse me, different mediums and setting things up, almost like a double blind study in your own way. So you say healthy skeptic, and I'm like, I think you were a harder skeptic than maybe you let on with your background in science. So do you mind speaking a little bit about you know, your belief system, your experience with science and how that um, uh, what a colored your uh, research that you started doing after your dad passed. Yeah, I've always
1: loved science. <clears throat> um, I, I tell the story in the book how my dad used to take my sister and I to the airport to watch planes take off. We had a small airport near our house. And um, I was stunned that these huge things could lift off into the sky. Like, how could that be possible? You know, and then seeing like big boats out on the water, why did they float while rocks sank? You know, I couldn't um, this stuff always amazed me, and then seeing ha- seeing Haley's comet in the sky when I was a little kid, and then learning how fast, how many miles per hour it was flying, but to me it looked stationary. You know that like broke my little brain, um, <laughs> and I, I needed answers to this stuff. And um, when I got into middle school and then high school, I had this amazing science teacher named Mr. Sawyer. Uh, and and when he taught me, for instance, about Bernoulli's principle, which is the um, which is the reason why we have lift in airplanes, why airplanes are able to fly, it was like I was being handed uh, like keys to the the boxes that were containing the mysteries of the universe. You know, and every day going into that class, um, I was I was learning you know, these mysteries were being unlocked for me. So I fell absolutely in love with science um, and had intended to be a science teacher, a high school science teacher. So that's what I went to college for initially. And then I was minoring in theater. Um, <clears throat> but then then acting ended up taking over. So I, I ended up getting a degree in that instead. But um, So science has always been a part of my life, right? So I definitely need to preface all of this by saying I am not a scientist, right? There, there are people way smarter than me out there Who should be studying this stuff. It should not be the bartender from Hamilton, trying (laughs) to study the most important, possibly the most important question facing humanity. Um, But I have had that interest in science. Yeah. So um, when these things started to happen. Um, my, you know, that scientific part of me really needed evidence. And, and you're right. Like I, I I did an interview recently with someone who was also a medium and she said, you know, when she was reading my book, she wanted to slap me across the face, uh, (laughs) given, given the, um, the ringer that I put these mediums through. Uh, but I think the end result will hopefully be that people like me, people who really do need evidence, uh, you know, this might, um, Uh, shed some light on this stuff for them uh, in a way that that has some weight, I'm hoping.
0: I think it will, and I will say that one of the things that I really love about this book is that I've interviewed um, several of the folks who are profiled in the book. So, just for everyone out there, of course, this book is is the story of what happened um, with Mike's father, the passing and the devastation of the family, and then um, and I can't wait to hear more about this from you, Mike, here today, so that our listeners can know these stories. But then, of course, your dad. Um, began making contact with the family, so it's not only that story of really the devastation and then the hope and all that your the journey that your family went on to connect with your father on the other side, but also a really, the second half is really a thorough history and um, presentation of current scientific evidence that doesn't normally make it into the mainstream around evidence for the survival of consciousness beyond death, that that something extends beyond the passing of the body and something that we can connect with. Um, so, it, But I think the way that you presented it is in, Of course, with the entertainment and engagement that only an actor and someone who, could, <laughs> you seem like you could have done some improv as well, um, but presented in such an engaging, entertaining way and such a, you've made it into entertaining layman's terms, because having interviewed, like I said, some of these folks and read the books, it's really heady stuff what you're presenting, particularly the scientific part of it, um, but it is made it's like the overview is so approachable, I, I'm really going to, this is the book that I will give to my skeptical friends who are not, you know, the ones that want to be reading all of the studies in depth that you did to really right. pre- present the evidence in that way. Um, yeah, so I don't know what my question yeah. was in that. Okay, <laughs> to so, <say> that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that, yeah. It's
1: written, you're right, it's written in um, with a light tone, a lot of it, because I find that, you know, a touch of humor Uh, can make some of this more digestible to people, because for some people, um, especially where the book ends, you know, the final chapter, which I hesitated to even put in there, um, it's going to be so far beyond what they think of as possible. It it, it helps, I think, if you make the subject um, uh, more accessible, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's woven through with this is not just you going through all of this stuff and presenting it in a chronological methodical form or format, which it is, but it also is the journey that you personally went through with each of these different pieces. Um, so it's your story is woven in which really I think, again, draws the reader in. Um, And so one of the things I want to get to first is, so here you are, your, your father has passed. And I just, I found myself in tears at so many points. Your father, who I know you've heard it before. I know that you have experienced it yourself. I know the mediums you've worked with have gone out of their way to say it, but holy wow, your dad was an incredible man. And um, to, to lose him, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you and your family. So devastation, grief, all of those things. But then what happened? Like I've never even heard of this happening because most of the folks I interview, you know, the, the, the grieved person goes out of their way to Try to connect with the deceased instead of the deceased kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying hello, hello, please, right. I want to contact with you.
1: <laughs> right, that was the part that for me, um, that's why, what makes the story atypical. I think um, in this case, it happened to us. It really felt like the my father maintained his own agency after he left his body and made all of this stuff happen. So the way that it began is uh, just a few days after his funeral, um, my mom got a call. uh, And what happened was a a woman who is a complete stranger. Uh, We've never, to this day, we've never met this woman in person. Um, she is a medium, right, which is someone who claims the ability to, um, communicate with our deceased loved ones. Now, I knew about mediumship vaguely from the show, uh, Crossing Over with John Edward, which was on television when I was in high school. And now there's, you know, the Long Island medium, and there are those sort of popular television shows that deal with mediumship. Um, but that, that was the closest I'd ever really gotten to it. Um, other than my family seeing a medium once, uh, after my grandparents died years ago and it was just sort of ridiculous, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was not good.
0: <laughs> I've so, had some of those myself. I relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they happen.
1: Um, uh, even with, even good mediums have, have updates, but, um, so that was my only contact with mediumship. And then out of the blue, We get contacted from this stranger who is saying that my dad is desperately tapping her on the shoulder, basically, telling her he needs to get a message to his family that he is okay. He was desperate to contact us. And um, as it turns out, this woman was connected to my second cousin, a guy that uh, married into my family that I don't know that I've ever even, you know, I may have been in the same room with him when I was a kid at a, at a wedding or something. I couldn't even picture this guy when my mom said, your cousin Chris called, and I have this amazing thing to tell you. Uh, so this medium is connected to my cousin Chris, and uh, the, the medium said, I have this guy named Robert. I feel like it's connected to your family, Chris, uh, and his family is somehow very involved in a fish restaurant. And, of course, my dad's name is Robert, and my sister owns a fish restaurant. So uh, that's how Chris put it together. And, uh, and he made the reluctant phone call to my house because he'd never called my house before. He wasn't even sure, you know, my mom would remember who he was. And he said, Liz, uh, this is your cousin Chris, uh, and I've got to tell you this crazy thing. And, and that's how, the, um, that's how the, the exploration into mediumship began.
0: And I just want to point out the specific way that your dad made himself known what, and I'm saying this because I want people out there to always have your spidey senses and your, your five senses as well peeled for these things, because some where someone might dismiss this, it could be something like your story that opens the door to this incredible journey. And so this person's house was smelling so strongly of fish that she finally invited in this team of paranormal investigators and that your cousin Chris was a part of it. So the house smelled so strongly of fish. That was the first clue that drew everyone in. (laughs)
1: That's right. Yeah. The fish smell was so bad that eventually the person and the person whose house it is is not into like this paranormal stuff at all. But the fish smell got so bad they that, you know, they're looking in the oven. Did a piece of fish fall under the stove? What has happened here? They could not get to the bottom of it and eventually called because cousin my cousin, uh, as it turns out. Now, this guy, he is a hospital administrator. You know, he has like a big time, you know, kind of straight laced job. We had his family had no idea. That on the weekends he's a ghost hunter. He has a team where he goes out and, and hunts ghosts. So um, yeah, that fish smell is what led the medium to that um, house, and 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 that, and she connected it to my father. So that's how um, it began. The fish smell.
0: Yeah, and there were it just really it just snowballed from there. And I I would love I, I of course I have taken notes throughout the book. So I've got more of these signs and and all of these things that started to happen than we could fully cover in an hour without even going into the rest of the book, which we need. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure we cover. So I'll just ask you, Mike, you know, between you started doing you and your sister, some mediums started um, coming into your life or you sought out some mediums. Um, And you would have like, say a code word in your mind that if the medium said that, and it was only a code word that you'd agreed in your head with your dad would be the code word. There's no way anyone could have known this. So those were some of the things you started doing as you started seeing mediums. What are some of the highlights that you want to share here today? I'm happy to pull some from my outline too. I don't want to put you on the spot. No, not at all. The one that really kicked it off was um, so, after
1: I had this, <clears throat> once this woman called her house, I, or my cousin called her house, I uh, had a talk to this woman. So, we had this long conversation, and it was incredible. And I came away from the conversation thinking, this woman, at least she believes what she's saying. You know, she seems like a compassionate, smart, lovely woman to me who totally believes what she's saying. Um, so then my sister, after that contacted a medium that she happened to hear on the radio and she was coming to our house. So that's when I put my big plan into motion that I was going to, uh, have a code word with my dad. So, um, I was standing in his house on the day that this reading was going to be happening, um, all by myself. My dad lived uh, in a, in a back lot in Connecticut, you know, so it was surrounded by nothing but trees. I was completely isolated in his house and I was flooded suddenly with the memory. Uh, when I when I was a little kid, uh, my parents got divorced, and my sister and I would spend the weekends with my dad. And on Friday nights, we were so excited to be with him, we could not fall asleep. Uh, and we we were all sleeping together out in the living room of my grandmother's house. So my dad would play with our hair to help us fall asleep, you know. And we would say five more minutes, Dad, five more minutes. And the poor man, until his hand was was completely cramped up, uh, would would play with our hair until we fell asleep. So this memory suddenly flooded me for some reason, and I said, "Okay, Dad, this is this is it. This is the deal. When this woman comes tonight, you have to get her to mention my hair." Um, If she doesn't say this, I'm not going to believe it. No matter how many other amazing things she says, if she doesn't mention my hair, I'm not going to believe that this is real. And the other important thing to note is that my hair is like completely average. You cannot have hair more average than mine. You know, it's just average brown (laughs) hair that you would never in a million years notice. Um, So she later on that night, this woman comes to our house and the reading lasted for like an hour and a half or two hours. And it was extraordinary. Um, I mean, within, within a few minutes, I was stunned at the level of specificity of the, of the thing she was saying. Um, you know, I, at one point, I'm looking around to try to see if there are photographs that I left up somewhere that she could be getting information from, which there weren't, because I had, like, tried to scrub the house of anything she could get identifying information from before she came. Um, so we're all weeping um, by the end of this thing. You know, everyone in the living room, we're all sobbing saying this is amazing this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to us i I had totally forgotten about my experiment by the way my code word because (laughs) by this point i was stunned and and i was convinced something was happening that i couldn't um explain so um she we're wrapping up to leave and now if you're a con artist right if this woman is is a charlatan and she's she's faking this stuff. Um, her mission is accomplished. She has just totally hoodwinked these people. They're all going to leave and tell everybody they know how they just have the night of their lives and she's going to get a ton of work out of this. Right. So don't press your luck. A professional would not press your luck at that point. You, You know, your job is done. But instead, as we're wrapping up, apropos of nothing, she's, she was in the middle of saying something and she stopped and she looked at me and said, he wants to talk about your hair. (laughs) <laughs> and I like it was like I had, it was like I had gotten punched in the stomach, you know, like I couldn't breathe for a second. I was so shocked that she had said that. And, um, you know, my mom and my sister are, are asking me, you know, what? What's wrong? What? Because I hadn't even told them this was entirely just between my dad and I. Yeah. So um, that's how it started. And then we went to see other mediums. And every time uh, we were getting I was getting codes like that. Now, I also want to say to your audience that um, I now also know that that's atypical. Um, that does not often happen. So if you happen, if you go to a medium and that doesn't happen, you know, it does not mean the medium is not actually doing something genuine. Uh, what, as it, as, it, as I now understand it, I think that my dad has a propensity for this. He just happens to have a knack, an ability um, to to do this really well. Uh, so that's just, just one little uh, disclaimer out there to not be disappointed if this doesn't happen for you.
0: Right. And I have a follow-up question to that. As you have really gone down this, I, I, this rabbit hole in your research, and and I would assume your belief system, well, I mean, I don't assume you say it very explicitly in the book, but that your belief system shifted dramatically after, and this has been this has been years since this has happened. So you've been on this journey for a while. So I'm just curious, you know, now knowing what you do, having done all the research on reincarnation and all the other subjects that are addressed in the book that really um fed your uh, your desire for evidence of the afterlife. Do you have the feeling um, that you that your dad and your family had some type of a an agreement as souls or a soul contract of sorts that because he would have this very um, it seems like very strong skill for communicating back from the other side that not every deceased person has that this was so that you could share this story in this way so that others might be inspired um yeah I'll just leave yeah I'll ask that ask it later. yeah yeah
1: yeah um I, I I I first of all have had multiple mediums say that to me including ah. just a couple of days ago one said that to me really uh, that this was all yeah yeah just a couple of days ago uh during an interview actually after the interview the medium said it to me off air that uh yeah that this was all part of our plan part of the contract if that's the right word um and uh that my dad was meant to leave in that way at that time so that it would send my life in this direction so that i'd be able to um because the the only the only reason that i shared started sharing my story just with even friends uh, and then eventually wrote the book is because i was finding it was bringing comfort to people you know uh, and that's the entire purpose of it is, is to open people's hearts and minds and hopefully uh, bring comfort. So, yeah, it certainly seems now uh, when I look back on this whole thing and, and I look at the, you know, the way that it thrust me into this brand new thing that completely changed my life. You know, it, 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 it changed everything about how life feels to me. Um, before this happened, I'd, even though I'd always loved science, I'd always had a vague sense, right? That there's more going on than meets the eye and yeah. that there are things that our scientific instruments aren't sensitive enough to get to. You know, I've always had that vague sense and that vague sense was enough for most of my life until my dad died. Then, then, then that vague sense wasn't enough anymore. But now, thanks to the gifts that, that, and that's what I would call them, the gifts that my dad has given me, I now know without a doubt that we are much more than our bodies, without a doubt, because of what I saw, especially in the by the end of, of, of uh, you know the, the la- again the last chapter of the book. Once uh, I had that experience, I now live my life um, knowing this extraordinary thing, and it's so, it's crazy. I, I feel like I'm there are two movies going on. a lot. Like I'll be out grocery shopping. And it'll, it'll strike me, I'll have this memory of this thing that I saw, that I know is real, that, it, that I know is part of the universe, while I'm like buying carrots, you know? And, yeah. and then there is everybody else in the, in, the, um, in the store, and most of them don't know about this thing. You know, they might have a sense of it or whatever, but they don't have this direct knowledge that I have. And it makes me feel like I'm, there are almost like these two separate movies going on. And I wish they everyone did know about this because it, it just opens up everything.
0: It really does. And I just want to, right here, when I'm looking at the time, we need, I just really apologize to our audience that I've not just called this already months ago, but I have been foregoing the break at the bottom of the hour because I am enjoying conversation with guests so much. Mike, are you okay if we forego our break today so we can keep talking? <laughs> oh, of course. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, Benny, yeah. hope that's okay too. Let's do it. Uh, Yeah, I just need to go ahead and update that and just make it an official policy. We will only take breaks if we need one, but mostly we do not anymore because I want to keep the conversation going. So you touched on something a moment ago, Mike, which was another thing that I really that I love about this book and it's woven throughout. And I think it it brings a a deeper meaning to this. And I'm just going to read a quote from the book here. Um, And this is about when you were really beginning to start to have some of these evidence-based communications through mediums. Um, and so the, the things were starting to open up for you. You write, if some part of my father was still around, still communicating with us when given the chance, it seemed more rational, it seemed the more rational move would be to accept not his complete demise, but rather a shift in our relationship it felt so good. I was so thrilled at this prospect that I found myself wanting to shout it in the streets. Hey, everybody, my dad didn't totally die. He's still here. And it seems to me that might mean yours is too. What I'd experienced was so life-altering and grief-alleviating that I didn't want to keep it to myself. And I think, um, I I enjoy this stuff so much just because it's I'm I'm just fascinated by all of the things that you studied in the phenomenology club you know that wonderful little <laughs> club you were in in high school that looked at at the paranormal phenomenon and Bigfoot and UFOs and all the things because I too believe there's way more out there than uh, we know and that our science even can and understand at this point in our human evolution, but um, so it's mere curiosity and fascination at some point, but you just, the fact that this has the deeper um, benefit of alleviating grief and helping people get back into their lives. Like, for example, the thing that comes to mind um, from the Netflix series, which we, I definitely want to talk more about, and I have a fun Leslie Keen connection too myself, so that was just delightful to read in your book, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but there was the woman in the documentary who I believe is a friend of, her fam- friend of your family, and her daughter, um, it sounded like it was a drug-related death, and she yeah. had really been having a hard time moving on to see her transformation, I just can you speak to that a little bit more about the. This is not just about science evolving and expanding to what consciousness really is, but this is about human lives being um, meaning made in a different way. I think. Uh, do you mind sharing that story? Not at all.
1: Yeah, that this is one of the favorite, my favorite things that has ever happened in my life. I'll say is, is seeing Sue. Uh, after this reading that she had. So Sue is my mom's um, best friend, and she lost her daughter Katie to a drug overdose, Um, and of course, obviously, it shattered her life. You know, losing a child, uh, I don't have children, so it's something I can't even imagine, but I can only guess that it's the, would be the hardest thing in the universe. The hardest thing about being a human being would be losing a child. So um, she was crushed, and Sue is a very scientifically oriented person as well. She's a nurse, you know, she's grown up in the healthcare um, profession and she's always loved science. And um, when her daughter died, uh, you know, I think like me, the weight of what the mainstream science has to say about death, it can be crushing, you know, which of course the mainstream version says that when the brain stops getting oxygen, that's the end of the illusion of self because that's all it is, according to mainstream science, is an illusion that the brain creates. Um, So Sue was completely devastated. And um, a couple of years ago, actually, when I had started looking into this stuff, I'd started making my own documentary way before the Netflix project came around. And um, Sue invited me over for dinner one night um, because she wanted me to talk to her and her husband about the things that I'd been exploring um, because she they were desperate for some sort of hope and and, and I that conversation left them I think feeling um, like there were things to think about certainly. but until you experience something like this uh, for yourself, uh, you know words can never do what the experience does you know So yeah. when Netflix came around um, and they were asking for participants, I said, I have this perfect person And Sue had a reading with Laura Lynn Jackson who is a phenomenal, mental medium and um it completely changed sue's life it completely changed her life seeing sue, seeing sue after that um I, I mean i there's nothing has ever made me happier in my life than mm. seeing sue the smile on her face when she walked out of that re- she was like a different person she, yeah. she, she was like, in the course of an hour, became a different person. And her, her, her spring was back in her step. She truly believes now, truly 100% believes that Katie is still here and that the relationship hasn't ended. It's just transitioned into a different form. And of course, do we still miss our loved ones? Like, do we wish we could hug Katie and hug my dad and feel them physically? Of course we do. But um, Sue and I personally now know without a doubt that they are still here um, and that our relationship has has just changed form but it goes on
0: yeah the transformation is obvious and uh, the, the the documentary that we're referencing is it's surviving death it just came out in january 2021 um and, and um in this documentary the story that we're talking about, they interview Sue before she goes in to see the medium and she says exactly what she wants to hear. You know, I want to know Katie is okay, that she's happy where she is. and at peace, all those things, and then, of course, they film the session, and, and Laura Lynn is an evidential medium, which basically means she will provide evidence that there's no way anyone else could know. They provide, like, like the medium who said, I see a man standing behind you to your sister, and he's wearing a Red sock mm-hmm. shirt, which was mm-hmm. the shirt your dad was buried in, um, so mm-hmm. that's kind of the evidence we're talking about, but Laura Lynn did some very Incredible evidence-based mediumship um, or evidential mediumship, and then, <laughs> you, as you said, the transformation was just—it was—it was tangible and visceral. You could see the weight of the guilt that Sue had been carrying oh. for years lift off of her shoulders, and she came out of that session a changed person. I, it, I yeah, yeah,
1: and it, and it's lasted. The effect has been lasting. Sue, uh, it, 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 it's you know, it has not dissipated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's kind of like those, the the stories of the near-death experiences, a person can go a lifetime and the memories are just as vivid and the life changes. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone had an addiction before the near-death experience come out, bam, gone, never to return or certain depression, anxiety, all those things. So I think this stuff, yeah, it's, it's, I like, for the reason that I was just saying, you know, the fact that this can, transform a human life to be lived in a different way after losing a loved one in a way that yeah yeah it's it's oh my gosh Uh, because you know like I mean uh, the way that
1: I start the book I I talk about that the show uh, the good place that's on Netflix right now you know which is about the afterlife and uh, there's this great scene where this human is talking to this angelic eternal being, and she's trying to explain to him what it's like to be a human, and he can't grasp it, because he's eternal, and he knows he's eternal, and mm-hmm. she says to him, you know, we're all aware of death, so we're all a little bit sad all the time, mm-hmm. and and I totally get that, because it's like always in the background, right, but if you get the sort of evidence that I've now gotten, um it's it, 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 if you're not constantly worried about the end of the journey, it makes the journey the thing. You can now focus on the journey without the worry of the end, you know?
0: Oh, that's such a good point, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So your journey continued. And I think you, you did research you, as you said, you were creating your own documentary and that went on for what, like six some odd years.
1: Even more. I started it pretty much the year, yeah, I I guess we're about eight years now, because that's still sort of an ongoing project.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. And so where, I know that where this, I don't want to say concluded, but where we are most recently left off is the release of the Netflix documentary, which again, I want to talk about that, because I actually have interviewed Leslie Kane on the show about not only surviving death, her book, on which Mm -hmm. the documentary is based, but also her book um, on UFOs. So, So I- I adore yeah. Leslie Kane. She is such a high integrity, high profile journalist. Um, so okay. yeah, so tell us a little bit, because I mean, even how you became connected with Leslie, maybe, maybe huh. can you pick up the journey, you know, with your research and where that took you, which eventually led to Leslie.
1: Yeah, yeah. Leslie, who who's now become uh, you know, one of my best friends, and mm. she is everything that you say, right? The the integrity of that woman is on uh, you know, it's unassailable. Um So I had gotten to a point in the in the research where and I was making this documentary and I ran out of money, you know, making making uh, professionally uh, professional quality documentaries take costs a lot of money because I had hired like a crew and I totally ran out of money. You know, my bartending uh, wages were not enough. So um, I had decided to make a little fundraising campaign uh, on, um, Kickstarter. And so I, I, published that video, right. And then I left to go to Starbucks that day. And I had no idea if we were going to make enough in the, in the, um, uh, in the, the, uh, campaign or not. I I suspected we probably weren't, but I had gotten to the place in in my journey where it was okay. I was okay if we did it. I had gotten the evidence I needed. Now, my only goal was to to share it with other people to try to help other people. Um, So anyway, I went to Starbucks that day, uh, which happens to be inside of Barnes and Noble. Um, And I was just drinking coffee, learning lines. I had gotten a part in a play and I was going to go do a play. So I'm learning lines. And then at one point I have to go to the bathroom. And right by the bathroom uh, up on a shelf at eye level, there's the book Surviving Death. You know how at Barnes & Noble every once in a while they'll have a book with the cover facing out, you know, to make them more prominent. And I saw that book, Surviving Death, a journalist investigates evidence for an afterlife. And I was like, oh, wow. So I picked up the book when I when I left the bathroom and, um, you know, thought I was going to buy it and, and read it at some point. I ended up sitting down and I read almost the whole book sitting at that Starbucks, you know, and I wish yeah. the whole thing was wonderful. And um, but most of it was research that I had already come across in my own uh, in my own search for for, for evidence. So th- I got to the end of the book where it gets to something called physical mediumship, right, which I had almost no knowledge of. So we can divide mediumship into two categories, if we like, um, mental mediumship, which is the one that we're mostly familiar with, where their medium is in a conscious or semi-conscious state, and they're interpreting the messages that they're getting. And then in physical mediumship, the claim is that the medium goes into a deep trance, so much so that they are no longer consciously aware of what's going on. They claim that when they come out of this, they don't remember anything that's happened. And while they are in this deep trance state... The, the, the uh, spirit world can supposedly take control of their body in various ways to either speak through them or use this substance that the medium uh, has in their body called ectoplasm. And they can use that substance to make physical things happen in the room. Now, ectoplasm, that word I was sure was written by Harold Ramis in Ghostbusters. I was sure right. that's where that word came from. <laughs> so I, I, I had to like stifle a laugh at Starbucks. And the only reason I gave it the weight that I did is because of the woman who wrote this book. Leslie Kane, uh, as you, you, know, I knew of her from her UFO book, uh, she is a highly credentialed journalist. She's now a journalist for the New York Times. And you know, someone that's at her level of journalism has to be incredibly careful about what they say and even more careful about what they write because their word is their whole livelihood. Yeah. Um, and I trusted her word completely. So she described in this last chapter, this life-changing event that she had with a physical medium named Stuart Alexander, where she saw something happen that science says is absolutely impossible. And as I'm reading the chapter, I'm thinking, oh, what I would give to be able to experience that myself, what I would do. But this physical medium he's this incredibly private guy he doesn't even tell anyone it's like real name it's impossible to sit so i knew i was never going to sit with him but I, I was so thankful to have leslie's book because i trusted her word um her word was enough for me to hold on to so i get home i put the book on my night sit, my nightstand i open up my computer to check on that kickstarter campaign and sunny there is a message from a friend of mine a guy named ryan sprague who says he just watched the, uh, the the video, and he says, hey, I got to put you in touch with my friend Leslie Kane, uh, who wrote a book called Surviving Death. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you the surprise. In, in the whole journey, that was one of the greatest moments of surprise, to open up that computer and see that message as the book that I had just dropped off was sitting on my nightstand. So um, – Leslie and I uh, made an appointment to have a talk and we hit it off right away. Uh, You know, she's a fat, I could talk to Leslie for hours about everything that she's done and everything that she knows. Yo, my God. Yeah. And, and then, so the bottom line is less than a year after stumbling upon that book on my way to the bathroom, thank goodness for my small bladder, uh, (laughs) less than a year after that, I am sitting in that little room in England with that guy, Stuart Alexander, and I experienced for myself, with my own eyes, sitting beside Leslie Kane, sitting beside a New York Times journalist, I experienced what she wrote about. And the only reason that I point out that I'm sitting beside the Leslie when it happened is because, again, for some people, it's gonna be so far beyond the pale of what they consider to be possible. Um, you can trust everything that I have written in that last chapter. I promise you it is true. Leslie was beside me when she when it happened, as well as the other people in the room. So as hard as it may be to believe, I promise you on my soul, <laughs> it happens.
0: Oh, I you are preaching to the choir with me. I actually had the same reaction <laughs> <laughs> in reading Surviving Death, which is Leslie Kane's book. And her, her last name is spelled K-E-A-N. So it, it is not pronounced like it looks. So I just, in case you go Googling this, it's it's Leslie Kane is spelled K-E-A-N. But I had that same reaction. I thought, my gosh, what I would give to go sit in the Stuart Alexander physical mediumship circle. And you got to do it. And and I won't, I won't spoil that last chapter, and I also think it's important for the, the lead-up that you give with all of the evidence yeah. that you went through um, for people to know, like, and trust you. I mean, I'm sure they will after hearing this interview, but I think for what you reveal in that last part of the book, you know, I will leave that to the folks that want to read it, but you had your own very personal experience with your dad in that circle, which was completely unexpected. Like, your dad... <laughs> He just, I mean, I have to ask now that this was one of my questions I was going to save till later, but since we're on it, you know, that's where it left off on for me in your story. So I am curious now, what is your relationship like with your dad? I, I mean, you know, he's there, but how do you without mediums necessarily, what, what, how do you communicate with him? How does that show up for you?
1: Well, he's incredibly good at um, communicating in lots of other ways. And, you know, I describe some of them in the book the other ways that he's he's communicated with me um my favorite way are the dreams that I have with him Aww. um and yeah yeah because those have a physical aspect to them. you know like I they, they, they always end where he hugs me um yeah. and I can like when I close my eyes right now I can feel his arms around you know, yeah. like I just had the dream a week ago. It's like my dad and I just hugged. So in that way, it, it stays very personal and alive, you know, and very immediate. I'm also, I'm a member of Stuart Alexander Circle now. So uh, oh. though we've been, we, we haven't been sitting up because of COVID obviously, but um, so that gives me this weekly opportunity to be hearing from my dad in this remarkable way. Um, so yeah, my dad and I remain as close as we ever were. And and it, I, when I say that I know he's beside me, I, I mean, I know it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's, it's I, I know he is right here right now. It's not, um, it's like a, it's a tangible thing for me.
0: I relate to that. And I, I, from everything, you know, reading your book and talking to you and all, I've, I've fully it just, I understand that. Like, it's so real. Um, But I will say, gosh, the dream thing, when I, as I was sharing before we went on air and listeners know my ex-husband, who I dearly loved, um, we just were not a good romantic match, but wonderful soul family, I fully believe. But um, gosh, when he comes to me in a dream and I get to hug him and I always feel Mm. his face, like, it's just, oh, there's just, nothing like that. So mm, I'm so glad you mentioned the dreams. That's really, yeah. yeah, really cool. Um, okay. So, um, I, I'm curious after your, um, experience in participating in the documentary, now that it's been released, um, what are your feelings about it? Do you feel, cause I, I have to be really honest. Mm-hmm. I having interviewed Leslie and read both of her books, having now mm-hmm. spoken with you and having read your book, I just feel like, like, I'm like, but there's so much evidence. There's so much more evidence. Wow. And yeah. I feel, I'm just curious, you know, where you sit with it. My gosh, it's a fantastic documentary. And I, um, I'm, i because this is not non-commercial radio here in Petaluma, I cannot tell people to go watch it but I will just say, I enjoyed it immensely. And this is like, you know, it's speaking my language. This is my cup of tea. Um, yeah. But how do you feel about all of it? I mean, I thought that some of it was great, you know,
1: especially the episodes about um, the near-death experience that the doctor had, the the, um, episode about reincarnation, um, you know, the episode with uh, Dr. Christopher Kerr, uh, who is a hospice, you know, runs the hospice program, anything in Buffalo. Um, There's some great stuff. Sadly for me, I felt like the, the two mediumship episodes, they devoted two episodes to mediumship, were the weakest of the series. And... Um, there, like you said, there's so much evidence out there, so much astounding evidence that is either kind of glossed over, uh, or just, just not, um, just ignored, you know? Yeah. Um, and we had the situation happen where some questions were raised, right. With one of the mediums. And, um, for me, uh, if it were, if it had been up to me, I just wouldn't have spent time, um, focusing on that because we know that there are, you know, the, the 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 history of physical mediumship is fraught with, um, scandal, right? I mean, there definitely have been fraudulent mediums. There have been people who have cheated over the years, like no doubt about it. There have been so much so that they have, um, soiled the the entire perception of physical mediumship, right? That's why most of the, most of the country thinks that this is all absurd. Um, and that's because of these people who have cheated. So, to spend any more time on that, I thought was sort of a missed opportunity, you know, because yeah. um, there is such great evidence out there. So yeah, that, that I, I feel like they're, uh, the, the, the time maybe we could have been spent on other things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I think you made, I'm glad that you made that clarification because you're right. There are the, the reincarnation, the near death experience. Um, but yes, it was just, I think it was the mediumship where I was just in my head going, Oh my God, talk about this, or I want to yeah. hear the evidence, you know, because I know, knowing your story, I'm like, but, but, but <laughs> anyway, <Right. laughs> but um, so I am curious also in, in doing your research, as I mentioned, the, there's a large portion of the book devoted to, I mean, you traveled around the country. Um, I, I of course, was aware of Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker. I've actually approached Jim Tucker to be on the show before, but this was several years ago and he politely declined, but I may reach out to him again after all of this, yeah. but um, you know the the, the evidence at the university or the evidence that the uh, program at the University of Virginia has been compiling on reincarnation for decades now. Like this stuff is just it's irrefutable. So I'm curious from all of your foray into the science uh, that maybe is not covered in the mainstream but absolutely exists. These are sometimes quintuple quintuple blind studies um, for these types of things. What stands out to you or what do you want to share here while we've got some time today?
1: Yeah, the uh, Dr. Tucker's work, Dr. Ian Stevenson's work at the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. For me, that was the most stark. That evidence yeah. is so compelling uh, that it, it's so compelling that I couldn't believe I had not been taught this in right. a, in, in a class in in like in high school or at least college. Um, you know, as I say in the book, and as Dr, as as, um, Jim says in his book, I think it's life after life, maybe, um, that when the book editor from JAMA, JAMA is the journal of the American Medical Association, right? And it's the most, maybe the most respected scientific journal in the world, you know, or at least it's up there. Um, When the book editor for JAMA went over one of Dr. Stevenson's books, he concluded that the evidence was so strong that the uh, it was difficult to explain in any other way other than reincarnation. Okay, right. so the the JAMA book editor concluded that reincarnation seems to be a real thing. And and as I say in the book, you know, if if tomorrow. Gemma came out and said, you know what? Eggs are not as bad for us as we thought. You can go ahead and have an extra egg today. That would be splashed across the headlines. It'd be right? on the nightly news. People would be out in the streets with confetti. Oh my God, eggs are fine. Um, but but they conclude that, that reincarnation is a real thing and almost no one hears about it. So um, that evidence is astounding. <clears throat> Some of the near death stuff is also really amazing because um, beyond the... Profound effect it has to the experiencer, as as you've touched on earlier. You know that it it ends up having this lifelong effect because there are studies done where they'll they'll keep on checking in with the person. You know, a month later, a couple of years later, ten years later, and the effect doesn't dissipate. So if we have people who go into cardiac arrest, uh, <clears throat> we'll check with people who who had a cardiac arrest but did not have a near death experience, and then someone who did. And the people who didn't, they might have a uh, a, a gratitude for life, you know, for a short while afterward, feeling lucky that they survived that and they might have a high, uh, you know, a greater appreciation for life. But the effect tends to dissipate over time. The people who have a near-death experience after cardiac arrest, um, the effect is profound. It's long-lasting. And it, as far as we know, most of the time, it does not dissipate. Um, but so that's the qualitative nature sort of, of what we can gather from near-death experiences. But there is also quantitative data in that, Sometimes people have what we call veridical NDEs. Now, th- these are cases where the person comes out of their body, so they say they, they, they come out of their body, and then they perceive things, say they're in the operating room, they hear or see stuff that there's no way uh, conventional science says they would have been able to see or hear, right? Yeah. They hear the doctor is doing what they're doing, and then in the best cases, they'll like then leave the operating room. Maybe they go, go down the hall, and they mm-hmm. hear a conversation happening with their loved ones and the waiting room. That they yes. obviously could not have heard, right? So those are fascinating. And then there's this whole category, and this line of evidence alone should tell us that there's a lot more to learn. Um, and that's cases where people who have been who are blind that have near death experiences, yes. and in some cases blind from birth. Um, there's a great book by Dr. Kenneth Ring. It's called Mind Sight. Um, Kenneth Ring and Sharon Cooper, I think, out of the University of Connecticut, um, and there, it's case studies of people who, now, so in some cases, the ocular nerve, it's not even connected to the brain, right? People who were born um, with an issue where their 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 ocular nerve did not connect properly to the brain, so there is no way that a visual signal could get from the retina to the brain. There's simply no way to do that. And yes. yet these people die, they go into full cardiac arrest. And in a lot of the cases, it, it, it'll happen like where they're on an operating room table. So we have them hooked up to monitoring equipment. We know there's no discernible heart activity. We know there's no discernible brain activity. Uh, and we have the time because everything is, you know, you're, you're, it's happening in the operating room. We know exactly when everything is happening. And they'll come out of their body and have a fully visual experience. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain that in conventional terms? Again, why was I not taught in my biology college course in biology 101 that, oh, by the way, sometimes when people die, blind people die, they can now see, you know, like, I feel like that should have been a part of the standard curriculum. Cause that's, that alone tells us that materialistic science, that which the main paradigm, right? The main scientific paradigm is called materialism, meaning that everything is material. And that Paradigm simply does not hold up um, for multiple reasons. Multiple reasons, but just that one alone uh, shows us that 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 it's incorrect, or at the very least, um, incomplete.
0: Exactly, and I love that you really explore all of this in the book. And I, some of your conclusions, you know, science's job is to explore with curiosity when there are anomalies, instead of just saying nope, can't happen because it can't happen. And what was it you quoted? William James who I have a special connection to because of my grandmother but I'm sure many people do mm. he's you know father of american psychology founded the harvard psychology department but he wrote that you know if you wish to upset the law that all crows are black you mustn't seek to show that no crows are it is enough if you prove one single crow to be white and yeah i i think you you have shown quite a few white crows in your book so many crows we've got so many crows out there yes I want to mention also, because one of the things that I I get requests a lot, and I keep a running list of of intuitives and mediums and astrologers, you know, that I know are high integrity and, and, you know, connected to good things. Um, But one of the things that you mentioned in your book that I just want to put out there, if you've been listening to the show today and you're thinking, man, I would like to contact a medium, but how do I know that I'm going to get someone that is as good as the folks that Mike Anthony had the privilege of working with on his journey. And I just wanted to mention briefly the Forever family. Family Foundation. The website is foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Um, do you want to just? We've got just a couple minutes left, Mike. I don't want to. Yeah. D- if you want to say anything about the organization, but they've done vetting. on
1: Yeah. Yeah. They. 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 They're. It's a nonprofit organization, and they are fantastic. And then, the full disclosure, they've become friends of mine now. Bob, uh, his wife just just passed away. Actually, friend. Mm. Um, but they're wonderful people who started this organization after their daughter, their young daughter, died in a car accident. And similar to me, the Bob was very skeptical. Uh, but then they had an experience with a medium that changed their lives that they couldn't explain. And so then they devoted the rest of their lives um, to this foundation. And uh, one of the important things they do is certify mediums. So they do controlled blind testing. Uh, meaning that there's no conventional way that a medium could be getting information. So basically they're ruling out cheating. Yeah. Um, and many people apply to be tested and only a very small percentage pass. It's very hard to pass their test. So they maintain a list of certified mediums on the website, uh, foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Um, so you can be sure that anyone on that list has, has been tested thoroughly and has displayed true mediumistic ability. And it's not to say again, every, these are human beings, right? And some will have off days. So, um, you know, if you go to one and it's not the experience you were hoping for, um, I can say, you know, don't, don't give up uh, based on one experience um, because, uh, you know, it, things, things can, uh, can go differently the next time.
0: Yes. Well, we've been talking today to Mike Anthony, he is the author of the book, Love Dad, How My Father Died Then Told Me He Didn't. The website is mikeanthony.com. And um, Mike, you know, we've got like, not even a minute left. Is there any final message you want to share with listeners or where you're headed from here with all this good stuff that you were putting out in the world?
1: Yeah, I'm still working on the documentary. I'll have some clips on the website of some of the stuff that we're working on. The main thing I want to share with people is just that uh, the evidence out there is extraordinary. I hope that it brings some comfort. Anyone uh, who's lost people, my heart is with you, especially, I know death has been so present in this last year. So my love, uh, my love to everybody.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Mike. What a pleasure to talk to you. Um, And I do hope that you'll come back on the show as you continue your research and put that documentary out into the world.
1: Anytime. I had such a great time. Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. You've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. Thanks, Benny in Seattle. Thanks, Jeff and Petaluma. And this is Sunny Joy signing off. See you next week.